I think it's important as entrepreneurs to push yourself out of your comfort zone in as many ways as possible so that you grow as a person, as a spirit, as an entity. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. I've written a book, a memoir that starts with my challenging upbringing with all the twists and turns and inflection points, including saving my company due to the pandemic. It will be published this year, so please go to natashamiller.co and sign up on my mailing list so you're the first to know when it's available. Today, I talked to Beth Shaw, founder and CEO of Yoga Fit Worldwide. She talks about all of their revenue streams, what they're working on now to scale and grow, and how she approaches writing and publishing her books. Now let's get right into it. Well, I think my journey to entrepreneurship really kind of started when I was in high school. My boyfriend and I at the time made gloves for a Michael Jackson concert on my mother's sewing machine that was coming to town. And we thought we were going to sell like thousands of them in the street. And we ended up not, but that was probably my first earliest entrepreneurial thing. I was always doing things like dog walking and babysitting. And I've been working actually since age 15. My first job was with a travel agency that used to bring people to Europe and then leave them there on charter flights. So that got shut down rather quickly. And then I went to work after school and during the summers for a giftware company where I was doing collections. So I think that was a great early primer for entrepreneurship. And at that time, did you think that you would continue being an entrepreneur or did you think that you would eventually go to work for someone else and that would be your life? Probably when I graduated from college, I tried to get a number of different jobs working for other people. I ultimately secured one and I did advertising sales for a number of years, which is almost like being in your own business because you're pretty much in control of your own income. But then the name YogaFit came to me one day on a bike ride when I was living in Southern California, and I trademarked the name immediately. I went and did a cable TV show, although I had no idea about how to do that. I started a mail order clothing company for yoga wear. Didn't really know much about that either. Went to a couple of trade shows with my stuff. One thing kind of led to another, and I got one of my students to become an angel investor and help me raise money. And that's when we started YogaFit, the school. That's a great story. To get a student to invest in your company, pure gold, I want everyone to think about that because when you're an entrepreneur and you're building a company and you need capital, you might be hesitant to ask friends or family or your students, but you did it. So YogaFit, I have been deeply enmeshed in your website and your company, and I'd love to talk to you about all the revenue streams that you found within this brand and what has really risen to the top? Well, we are an education company. We're the largest yoga mind body school in the world. On a good year, we're training anywhere from 10 to 12,000 people worldwide. I have a team of 75 master trainers, predominantly located in North America, but some in other countries. 
So our revenue streams have varied throughout the years. You know, if you were to ask me this question 10 years ago, a quarter of our revenue came from books, DVDs, CDs, and clothing. But thanks to Amazon and everything going digital, that part of our business has largely gone away. We do conferences. Pre-COVID, we were doing 15 conferences a year across North America. They typically got two to 300 people at each conference, everyone from fitness instructors to yoga instructors to mental health professionals, or really anyone who just wanted to learn yoga and how to incorporate into their lives for better health and wellness. We do individual trainings, weekend trainings at health clubs, universities, military bases, sometimes yoga studios. And that is a big part of our revenue as well. That, of course, has now gone pretty much 95% virtual. We also do sell some product, not that much. We license our name. We had a deal licensing our name for Yoga Fit Studios a few years back. Didn't work out that well, so I took the name back there. And then we have affiliate companies that we get a little bit of revenue from, ancillary products, related products in the health and wellness space, body care products, vitamins, biohacking stuff. And because of COVID, now we've added another revenue stream, and that is we're doing corporate wellness webinars, predominantly focused on mental wellness, so that corporations can provide to their employees tools that are self-directed so that people can take control of their health physically and mentally by themselves with our guidance. That's wonderful. So in my core business, Entire Productions, we actually do bring in experts like you and your team for our corporate clients, Facebook and Google, et cetera, et cetera. It's so important. At some point in the pandemic, they really got sick of the funny party hat Zooms or the happy hour cocktail Zooms, and they wanted something of more substance. And it's so wonderful that you were there to fill that space when it was so needed. Yeah, it's funny because I'm a member of a variety of professional organizations like EO and WPO. And I was teaching like sometimes five classes a week for WPO members during the early days of the pandemic. We were getting super great attendance of 60, 75 people a class through the WPO network just because people really needed I'm that sure. body activity and also movement. Yes, I agree. And it's so great. I'm an EO too. So at some point we'll meet each other in the EO world. So that starts to answer the next question I have for you. So as someone who's in the physical and mental well-being space, you're not necessarily educated on starting and running a business, although you had some great experience in advertising and marketing and some of the other things that you did. So how do you go about gaining business operations. I mean, you have a huge company. You're a visionary. How do you learn all the things that you need to learn to be a CEO of your business? Well, I mean, the standard answer is find people that are good in certain roles. For example, I'm definitely not an operations person. So I now have someone who's been on our team for over 20 years, who's great with operations and everybody owns their corner of the business. So the, the business actually runs seamlessly without me, although I am the marketing person, the business development person, the person who comes with new ideas and trying to get into new markets, whether it's international or corporate or whatever. 
I have personally over the years gone back to school on numerous occasions to try to educate myself more. And that's something that I really wish that I had done in the early stages of the business. I'm at Harvard in the OPM program. So I'm supposed to finish up my last three weeks this August, if that happens. And I did the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, obviously joining organizations like EO, WPO. And now I'm just a learning junkie because I feel even though I've had my business now for over 23 years, I still feel like maybe somewhere I'm missing the boat and I need to learn more. Okay. So here's the deal. We haven't met before today, but I also did the 10 KSB, the blended program at Babson in 2015. And following that, my business grew 65% year over year for a couple of years. And through EO, which I always want to plug EO because entrepreneurs organization, I've used it to really catapult myself in education. So I'm doing the entrepreneurial master's program at MIT. And then I did their Harvard program last November in 2019. And I actually met a handful of people that are doing the program you're doing. That's very intense. So that's great. So as an author of a handful of books, I'd like to know how you approach writing. Are you doing it all yourself? Are you using a ghostwriter? Are you using a great editor? So for those people that want to write a book, give them your best tips. I use a good editor and content organizer. At YogaFit and within myself, there's no shortage of content. For me, not being the most organized person, I always have to write. And I'm working on my fifth book right now with Dr. Nick Paracone called Yoga for Longevity. So what I typically do to get started is I will do table of contents, the chapter outlines, and I usually write the preface. And then I usually have whoever's going to write the introduction. It's been Dr. Pam Peak for a couple of my books, like Yoga Lean. And then I just really start to fill in the blanks. And it's a super challenging thing to take on. It requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of focus. It requires a lot of things that I don't really have inherently within myself. So at least every two years now, I'm trying to do a book because I think it's very good discipline. Just like going to the Harvard program, you know, we start at 7.30 a.m. and we're going till late into the night and I'm not used to working on a schedule and I like to be on my own schedule. And so I think it's important as entrepreneurs to push yourself out of your comfort zone in as many ways as possible so that you grow as a person, as a spirit, as an entity. So I just have to ask you at the Harvard program, I can't remember the name of this professor, but he looks very young and you know how they like to run around the room and scribble on the chalkboard. That must be a Harvard business school, like mandatory, but this one guy would jump up on the ledge to write up at the top. I don't know his name. I wish I could, but God, that was funny. Guy was that Boris? I don't think it was Boris. It was a guy that looked really young, like Doogie Hauser type young. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> okay. So anyway, along the lines of publishing, I see that you've published with Human Kinetics and Blue River Press. What is the determining factor in deciding which publisher to use? Oh, that's a great question. I've actually published two books with Random House, Penguin Press, also Yoga League. Oh, I missed those. Yes. And I'd love to know the differentiator between yeah. a large publisher and these other publishers, because I think there's a misnomer, but you tell me what your experience is. 
Well, let's start with my first book, Yoga Fit with Human Kinetics, which is a great publishing company. They really focus on sports and fitness. They have great traction into universities and all of that. But at the time when I went to them, and I want to say this was like 2001, and I was like, I want to sell 100,000 copies of this book. They had like let their PR person go for six months. I had brought my own PR person in who actually almost got thrown off the airplane for fighting with the flight attendants on our way there from LA. But that was a funny story. Not exactly your brand. Yeah, not exactly. And she was wearing a fur coat too. But they were like, no yoga book's going to sell 100,000 copies. So I guess my first thought- Of course they are. Yeah. My (laughs) first thought was really find a publishing company that is aligned with your core values and believes in what you do. Random House, Penguin Press, great company, big I'm not a huge author. So my book kind of came and went, I think. They also said, don't hire a marketing firm. And I really wish that I had because Yoga Lean in particular is a wonderful book for everyone. The title is a little misleading. It's really a lifestyle book, a diet book. It's based on Ayurveda. It's got recipes in it and workouts. And it's a really fabulous book. But I think it didn't probably get the attention that it should have from a very large publishing company because... I'm not one of the top 1% authors. My last publishing company, I have to say, was very much of a disappointment, but I just wanted to get the book out. So I just did it for that reason. And it's good because Healing Trauma with Yoga, which is this book, that came out right before the pandemic and good timing because everybody needs to heal from anxiety, depression, PTSD. If you weren't traumatized before 2020, you probably are now. I'm going to be ordering that book right after this call. And I have to share with you, and I'd love your response to this. When I first started doing yoga, maybe 15 years ago, I would be hesitant to do it because toward the end, when you're relaxing and I would start to cry. And I was so embarrassed because nobody else was. I was so emotional. And my boyfriend at the time was a fitness instructor. He's like, that means you have to do it. Is that something that you find in a lot of people? We hold all of our issues in our tissues. Every life experience we've had, thoughts, emotions, they all get trapped in the physical body. And if you believe that we're carrying generational trauma in our DNA, in our cells, that also can be released. I share a very personal story in this book that I'm not going to share today, but of a memory that came to me from childhood during final relaxation in my early 20s. And it was rather shocking, but stuff comes up for people and it's a safe space to release that we train our yoga fit instructors not to console or comfort or try to do therapy on people who are crying, but just let them have their emotions And I think that anything that brings us closer to our hearts, to our feelings, to healing is a very worthwhile practice to engage in. Thank you for responding to that. I think this is the first time I've ever said that out loud, but I think it's important to say these things out loud about how we're feeling. So back to business and tactics, I would love to know with this wonderful, large, humming company that you have... And I say large because you have so many facets and so many people involved. Today, what is your number one challenge in business that you are trying to overcome or working on? My number one challenge, I think right now is getting new students because we used to run live events and conferences and we would run a level one training or yoga fit warriors training, which is our trauma-based training. We would get new people 
who are coming in, they would get to interface with people who have, you know, going for their RYT 500 or people who are in our 900 hour yoga therapy track, and they could see the vision, the possibility, meet people. And that precipitated bringing more people into the network. Now with everything on Zoom, it's a little bit harder to get new clients, not to mention the fact that a lot of yoga studios and fitness clubs are still shut down. Yes. And of course this will rebound, but in time, and it's the businesses that were fortified or that pivoted in order to stay alive that will see that resurgence of the in-person event. So that leads me to the next question is currently this year, what is your number one strategy to both stay in business, but to grow and thrive? What is to scale and grow? What is your strategy that you're really doubling down on? The strategy really is to get out there doing more corporate wellness and to expose ourselves to individuals who may not have ever heard of us. Our goal is to make partnerships with companies in related spaces and just look for business in unusual places right now. We had to pivot a 22-year business model to all virtual within two weeks after the lockdown. We did that successfully. Last year was a great year for us because everybody was trapped at home and people were finishing up their certifications. This year, things have lightened up a bit because I think people have Zoom fatigue and they're in that very strange place between having Zoom fatigue, but not quite ready to go to live events yet. And we were supposed to have a conference next week in Minnesota, Minneapolis, and we had to cancel it because of the rioting. We're like three miles from our host hotel. We've got a conference coming up in July in Scottsdale. We're just going to run it no matter how many people show up. I had a retreat here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in April. I had about 20 people. We kept it small. I had about 20 people come. And it was so great to be in person again with people doing yoga and dancing and doing things on the beach and interacting. People were really happy. I think a lot of people right now have fear. And for me, the beautiful thing in life is to have your fear, but move past it because it offers a tremendous opportunity for growth and transformation. But I think a lot of people are not in that space right now. Maybe not yet. It's going to take some time for the healing to set in. So in going after more of the corporate wellness, how does your team go about that outreach? Well, there are many companies that distribute corporate wellness to corporations. So we have partnerships with some of those companies. And I've done some one-offs for like Cigna Insurance Company, like a hour and a half webinar on Find Your Fitness Why, and then they record it and they distribute it to their employees. We have some relationships with different insurance companies. We have like a hundred pre-done classes that we're selling to them and then they distribute it to their networks. So it's kind of a case-by-case thing, but it's something that I'm very passionate about because even if corporations truly don't care about their employees, they should at least look like they do and provide these mental wellness tools because people are really, I'm struggling, you know, with anxiety and depression because of the pandemic. And I live in Florida and still have a business. I can just imagine for my friends, like in Canada, who can't leave their house or in some of the other states that have been severely locked down, you can't escape this whole COVID thing. Even if you don't watch the news, even if you've deleted all the news apps off your phone, it is pervasive. It's ever present. For me, it's like a big heavy weighted blanket hanging over all of us. So it's the daily things like for myself, like exercising or standing on my head in my headstand machine with my red light in my face for 20 minutes. 
or shocking myself with my EMS suit or, you know, whatever I can do to keep the mood high. Because like I said, I have all the tools. I have all the tools and I have still been struggling. So yes. you can imagine. Yeah, somebody it. like you has the secret sauce to remedying some of these things and you still have struggle, then of course, then those that don't have access to it, they're in need of your services. I have just recently learned a little bit more about biohacking. It's not really something that I've paid much attention to, but I've recently discovered this device and I'm just wondering if you've heard of it. It's called Happy and you wear it around your neck and it's some sort of vibration and I ordered it. I'm dying to see what it can do. Do you have any experience with those kind of technologies? Yeah, I practice a lot of biohacking. In fact, in a week and a half, I'm going to a biohacking studio in Tampa. A woman who came on our retreat, who's part of the Yoga Fit Network owns, and I'm very excited because she's got all the toys. I use red light therapy. I do cryo, thinking about buying a Nano V. I know a lot of people who have all of those gadgets and they say it helps them sleep better. It calms their anxiety and depression. And the good news is with biohacking, there are a lot of quick fixes that you can do. In fact, pre-COVID, I started a nonprofit called the Center for Conscious Healing. And my goal was to open up kind of high-tech, low-tech biohacking plus yoga and meditation so that people could go there to deal with their anxiety, their depression, their trauma, if they were in recovery, trying to stay sober, or if they needed to get sober, it was going to be a great resource for that as well. I was going to start fundraising again when I left my Harvard program in February, 2020, but then COVID hit. So I'm a little bit behind in all of that. Everything in its time though, right? I think COVID put me and a lot of people into a space of reinvention and ideation and creativity. So I had tons of plans as well for 2020 and a lot of them fell to the wayside, but so many things grew from that open space, that white space that we had. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So the last question I have for you is in how you are thinking about, or are you thinking about an exit plan of any sort for your business? Well, I'm approached a lot for people who would like to purchase my business. And if I was a smart person, I'd sell it before the end of the year to avoid the capital gains increase that's coming our way. But my goal right now actually is to find a company in a related space that does certification and training and purchase that company because I've never had the experience of purchasing a company. And I'm very eager to have that experience and add on to our existing offerings. That's so exciting. I, if you don't know this person. If you're of anything. Yeah, I would suggest that you look into, you probably know this person already, but Roland Frazier, he teaches people how to acquire businesses and he's just so brilliant and he's full of incredible information and he may have ideas of how to source and qualify that specific entity that you're looking for. But other than that, he can teach you how to figure out the deal and how to do the buy. And it really got me thinking about, wow, I developed my core business from the ground up. So did you. But what if we back then acquired a business and jumped over the 10 to 15 years of learning that we probably both had to do? And that's the whole point is I'm seeing a lot now that acquiring businesses is greater than creating a startup. Now, I don't know if I agree with that because I love creativity and ideation and innovation, but it sounds like that's something that you've really tapped into. 
Well, I see with a lot of my EO colleagues too, they may have a business, but they're like buying a franchise on the side or someone in my EO forum group just bought a business and did thorough due diligence looking at different businesses to buy. So again, it's on my bucket list of things that I would like to, as a business person, have experienced. So I'm on the hunt if anybody knows anybody who wants to sell a certification or education company in health, wellness, recovery, or addiction space. Reach out to me at beth at yogafit.com. That's wonderful. You've put the ask out. I'd love to see what kind of response you get. That's it, Beth, for me, unless you want to talk about something that we didn't touch upon yet. Just everybody take care of your health. It's your most valuable asset always. So make it a priority. Beth was a breath of fresh air and such a lovely and smart entrepreneur who can mix both the movement healing arts with serious entrepreneurship. To learn more about her, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.